0: All right, so we're going to be in John chapter 9 today. So we're basically going through chapter Sunday through the book of John. Um, and this is, as many, uh, kind of a heavy and serious chapter. We have kind of three main sections here. So the first is, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, those fundamental life questions. Second, we're going to talk about determining false teachers. And finally, we have another... Passage that shows that Jesus is the Christ. So we'll do a quick chapter 8 review and then we'll open up in prayer. So remember in chapter 8 last Sunday we talked about the adulterous woman who Jesus does not specifically pass judgment on but does tell her to sin no more and avoids the trap that the Pharisees put in place for him where he was either going to have to go against Roman civil law and the authority that had been placed over Israel or he was going to have to countermand the law of Moses. And so he called the Pharisees out on their sin and made it about the individual instead of just the political points that they were trying to play. Jesus proclaims in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And the rest of the chapter is essentially an argument with various people over whether that is true or not. Whether Jesus is the light of the world and what that means. And that's the same argument that, you know, a lot of people have today and a lot of the misunderstanding with people who believe, you know, maybe Jesus was a stor- historical figure or at least a philosophical figure. And the question is, who is Jesus and what should we do about him? What should we do about that belief that we have of who Jesus is? And this is really, you know, as I've been looking through the book of John, I've realized what a major theme that is. Basically, he presents the book of John from the perspective of all these people who have their own opinions on who Jesus is, and then they take actions that are logical outflows of that. So John's argument that he states explicitly is, Jesus is the Christ, and I'm writing this book so that you may believe in him. And he lets Jesus' word speak for him. If you believe in Christ, then you will follow in his ways, and you will follow him as that light of the world. So, let's talk about who he is, what we should do about it. For the Pharisees, who was he? Who was Jesus to most of the Pharisees? Blasphemer. Liar. Liar. Threat. So, what did they think that they should do about that version of Jesus? What, because they thought he was those things, what did they think they should do? Discredit him. Discredit him? Or kill him? Ultimately kill him. What about the crowds of people that were following him? Who was Jesus to them?
1: Was a mystery to some of
0: them. Yeah. Cool. The, like, a curiosity. Miracle yeah. Miracle worker. You know. The uh, the miraculous piggy bank. I think a in a way, too.
2: Yeah. I think they were like
0: And for those who believed he really was something sent from God, who was he to them? Yeah, the, yeah messiah but as a political leader right political all-conquering freer of them in a physical sense right so what were they wanting to do about that version of jesus what what did that version of jesus drive them to do make him king, make him king. overthrow the romans let's start the revolution right now what about for the apostles I'm talking before before Pentecost, before the resurrection, before they really understood everything that he laid out as a plan of redemption for the world. Yeah, a teacher, Messiah, and maybe with a greater understanding than the, the general people had, but you know they still weren't fully grasping. But what did the apostles do? They, they followed themselves on
3: risk. They, they risk did risk following him.
0: Yeah. They followed him through thick and thin when others fell away. When he said, will you need me to...
1: they thought he would take that as being king. And they were waiting for him to all of a sudden announce to everyone that he was going to be the king, and they were going to be his followers. And they didn't know he was going to end up on the cross,
0: for sure. Yep. So let's bring it to the present. Who is Jesus to cultural Christians in America today? So, you know, your friends and family who, if you ask them, oh, what's your religion? They'll say, oh, I'm a Christian. But it doesn't really... Translated to much in their daily lives. Who is Jesus to them? Oh, boy. Yeah. Their pal, their buddy. You know.
1: Their provider.
0: Their provider. I think
4: yeah. In some sense, um, people even who are not true believers, who don't really have a personal relationship with Christ, claim him as their savior so that they can go to heaven, but not really live with
0: him. Yep.
4: Well, he's the one that lets us
0: go to hell. Good thing we're going to read Second John later. If you love me, you will follow my commandments, right? Right. Yeah. Randy? I
5: think another way a you. lot of people view him could, could almost be like somehow some people view the Dalai Lama or, or yep. like, like their yogi or, or the whatever. You know, their, their their spiritual guide to a greater place, but not any different than them.
0: Wise teacher, Warren.
3: i was going to say it's a a, treat, a trip to the deli where they pick their fire insurance.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs>
3: I like it, literally.
0: Yep. Pick cheese like pieces this, as you I want. I
3: don't like this. I, I'll reject that.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so, what do people do about that version of Jesus?
1: Not much. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly.
0: What about for Islam? Who is Jesus in Islam? A
1: prophet.
0: Yep, great prophet, a spirit from God, but not God Himself. And so they they have that same approach. He's a great teacher, and they they respect him, and they just kind of gloss over the parts they don't like, and that's about as far as it goes. And less than
5: Muhammad for sure.
0: Yes, if he
5: wasn't as knowledgeable, Muhammad came along and corrected Jesus's teachings.
0: Yep. Jesus is just one of the five greatest messengers from God. What about Mormonism? Who is Jesus?
6: Satan's yeah.
0: Yep. A God, a created being, a brother of Satan. And also what we could become, because our goal is to become gods. So what what is what do you do with that version of Jesus? You keep all the, the laws and try to be a good person so that you can become just like Jesus someday in the sense of being a God and having the same divine authority that he does. So we see all these versions of Jesus. But Jesus says simply, he is the light of the world, and so we follow him. Just like the apostles did, where you know, when the going got hard, they still followed him. And even though they stumbled and fell and had problems and weren't perfect people, they followed him. Yeah. Eight fifty-six through fifty-nine summarizes it. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, "You are not fifty years old. Have you seen Abraham?" Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am." Goodbye, version in Mormonism, in Islam, cultural Christianity. The crowds, he is claiming to be God. You either reject that or you accept it. The Jews rejected it. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So, as we go into the next story, it basically reads like this is directly as he's going out of the temple. So, you know, the divine, you know, miraculous version of running for your life, which it doesn't come across that way because he miraculously escaped from the crowd, but he sees this man who's blind from birth. So let's open up a prayer and then we're going to read through all of chapter 9 like we've been doing. Again, this is so much about context where you have signs that are specifically presented to show the, the nature of Jesus and to illustrate the teaching. And then you have teaching that follows. So you can't really take it out of context. So let's open in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would help us to um, study this passage of scripture well. To help it to strengthen us, to encourage us, to equip us, and to teach us who you truly are to be able to detect falsehood, and be able to boldly proclaim you through the world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's read through the entirety of John chapter 9. Start John chapter 9, 1 through 6, and we'll just read straight through, through verse 41.
1: And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi,
5: who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, as long as it is day, night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes.
0: 7 <coughs> okay. Jesus said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. So others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. 14 through 21.
7: Now the day
2: on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But the others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he, he, he can see? We know he is Our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But now he can see no but but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age, he will speak for himself. Twenty-two
0: through twenty-seven.
1: His parents said this. Sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you not to hear it again? You do not want to become a society. <laughs> Twenty-eight through thirty-four.
0: Yeah, 35 through 41.
6: Jesus heard the-
3: Said, For judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you
0: All right, so again, this seems to happen right after leaving the temple in chapter 8. Verse 2 to 3, to me, basically summarizes the book of Job in just a few sentences. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Seems like a common sentiment, right? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So, you know, with the, with the example of Job that the Jews had, where you had a righteous man who not only was he not specifically being judged because the sin was so much more extreme than other people's, but in fact, in that case, it was because he was such a servant of God that he was specifically targeted for the horrible things that happened to him with his family being killed and his possessions being lost, losing his health. It was because he was a comparatively good man. The Jews had that example, but, you know, at the same time, God does promise consequences for sin in the law. So aside from the the fact that it's human nature, you know, we, we like the world to be cause and effect. You know, you look at all the pagan religions, all the, you know, the pantheons and all that stuff, you know. When something bad happens to the world, it's, well, it's at least because some god is being capricious or... You know, there's some sort of explanation behind it. We like order. We like to know that things don't just happen to us badly. That's why conspiracy theories are popular. Because, all right, sure, there may be, you know, the Bilderbergs are behind, you know, and the Illuminati are working to, you know, destroy our lives and make us miserable. But at least we're being miserable for a reason, right? <laughs> the fact that, you know, bad things could just be happening and government could just be incompetent is, is horrifying and terrifying. And we don't want to believe that. It's easier to believe that somebody's actually out to get us specifically. So, you know, among, among other lessons, Jesus seems to use this as a sign or at least an object lesson, us for his claim to be a lie of the world. And at the end of the chapter, we see this explicit reference to those who could see becoming blind and the blind be able, being able to see. But what we see from that is the, he is blind. So that the works of God could be displayed in him. I, The reason he was born blind is so that Jesus could then heal him all these years later. Which is, you know, kind of scary in a certain sense. You know, um, tough break for that guy, right? And yes, Jesus did show mercy. He showed compassion. And, you know, he reached out to this person. Uh, but this guy was blind specifically so that this miracle could occur, this lesson could be taught, we could have this example. This comparison of physical blindness and spiritual blindness.
4: You know, John, it, it also is powerful because, let's just say, well, did God have to trade him blind and make him live blind all those years? I mean, couldn't he have just made him blind or lose his sight a year before, and then he could have healed him? But the guy himself said, who's ever heard of Born blind and living all those years blind, wasn't like you know some people fall down, they go blind, they fall down again, the sight comes back. They could have just said, "Oh well, it was just one of those things that happened." Yeah. Jesus really didn't have the power to heal it, but it was no question.
0: Yeah, and we see the Pharisees through here are trying to find reasons to not believe in this miracle. Like, there's got to be some sort of rational explanation. They're trying to explain it away. Oh, he's not really him. He just looks like that. Guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he was born blind is really important to the story. And, you know, it explores just like many of the other conversations that we see in the book of John. What do these miracles actually mean? And is there some way that we can say that, you know, it's really being powered by Satan or it's an illusion or it's not really that big a deal or something, anything to explain away in an easy way? That, you know, Jesus is not really someone who you have to pay attention to. And, you know, he was clearly well-known. He was, he, oh, he's that guy that was blind from birth. You know, in a city the size of Jerusalem, he was well-known enough that, you know, people, people knew the story. Like, he wasn't just, you know, the beggar that you see. He's oh, yeah, that's the guy who's always been blind from birth. That was his reputation. That was his whole, that was what people knew him as. Alright, so again in verse two here, we have this automatic assumption that somebody um, has done something especially heinous if there's something that's that visible. That you can see the you can see the evidence right there. You know, look at him. He's blind, he's always been blind. Somebody must have done something, right? And this is actually this is not the only time that Jesus would address something like this. There is a conversation in Luke that feels like it could happen in any church in the nation, much less in a society where, you know, people routinely just talk about karma, you know, which is a specifically a pagan religious principle, this idea that everything that happens to us, you know, there's some reason, there's some cosmic balancing to it. You know, that is the heretical religious idea that our society has just kind of adopted because it matches our expectations of the world. It's, you know, in line with human nature. So let's read Luke chapter 13, 1 through 6 for another example of how Jesus addresses the, you know, basically, see these horrible things in the headlines. What does it mean? Who sinned?
8: Just at that time, there arrived some people who informed Jesus about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he replied by saying to them, do you think that these Galileans? Were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they have suffered in this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish and be lost eternally. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were more guilty offenders than all the others who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, be lost eternally. And he told them this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, but did not find any. You
4: want me to stop at six? Yes, please. Okay.
0: All right. Now, Events like those that Jesus talks about are the ones we see in the news today. Are they consequences of sin? Yes, the world has fallen, right? Evil things happen to the world because Adam and Eve chose to sin. It introduced sin into the world. God made a perfect creation, and it was made imperfect by the free will choices of man. So all these bad things are a consequence of sin. And can they be? A specific judgment or consequence of sin in a specific instance, whether for an individual person or for, you know, a larger event that happens to a society place. You know,
4: remember Jesus told the the guy that was paralyzed for 38 years or whatever, said, "Now go and sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you.
0: Yeah. Specific warning. Yeah.
5: Or the governor during... Paul's time where he got infested with
0: with worms. Um, worms yeah, and then fell over dead.
5: Like, oh, I'm so glorious. Look at my glory, and then, he, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
9: So it's a, it's an interesting uh, thought for, for me anyway. The principle of you reap what you sow, but you cannot you cannot earn or plow your way to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's an interesting. <laughs> Trust Jesus,
0: but also be a good steward of what you have here. Yeah. So in mm-hmm. so general, events like this, especially the ones that are just random, serve as a warning and a consequence of our fallen world. You know, I would say we're we're not happy about the state of the world, right? We look at the news headlines and we look at what happens to us individually. And are we are we just happy with how the world is operating? Should we be happy with the state of the world right now? Is that, it serves God's purpose for us to see that there should be something more than it is an imperfect world. Um, so, you know, suffering, can, suffering and death can be a direct punishment for sin or a sinful way of living. For a couple examples just in the New Testament, let's look at 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 32. serious let's look at acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 for an even more dramatic story
6: Of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Uh, and great fear seized all who heard what happened
0: and, you know, if you read on further, you'll see Sapphira comes in and lies as well, and she falls down dead as well. So pretty significant warning for the church. You know, and it wasn't, <clears throat> wasn't about, you know, oh, you have to donate every single bit of money you get to the church. It's don't, don't seek God's glory for yourself. And, you know, they, they ask here, the disciples ask, was it his parents who sinned? Now, that can happen, too, unfortunately. You know, you can see you see evil parents directly inflicting harm on their children through sin. Um, you know, years ago, I had a, we had a guy who came into our squadron, and, uh, you know, young airman, and good guy, you know, good-natured, um, willing worker, all that stuff, but he just could not remember things. And eventually it came out that he had fetal alcohol syndrome. So his mother had drunk a whole bunch of alcohol. And so he had a learning disability, so we had to kick him out of the Air Force. It, oh. it was no fault of his own. You see things like that over and over. And, you know, drug addictions where babies are born addicted from birth and then they have to be weaned off the drugs as they're in the NICU. Yeah. Well, and the question always is why the bad things happen
1: to good people? You know, why is it the evil people that are getting all the bad things? You know? yeah.
0: And if, we live in. Yeah, I mean, would not it be nice if when bad things happen to us, we could just, oh, yeah, it's because of that sin. I'll just stop doing that, and then the bad things will stop. Like, yeah. we've got, you know, just look around. I'm not going to share anybody's specific stuff, but we've got, you know, we've got widows. We've got sleeping issues. We've got eyesight issues. We've got, you know, broken bones and injuries and stuff. You know, everybody can think of something uh, that they've got in their own life and that they are praying for in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. Would not it be nice if we could just... You know, do a review back. All right, let's play back to the previous day. Oh, that—that's why. Okay. All right. Now my eyes are perfectly good. Right? Wouldn't that be nice? And that's just not the way it is in this fallen world. Crazy yeah. thought. I
9: don't know. I just had this thought, might be. But the thought that Jesus was saying, you know, the first will be last, and the last will be first. I mean, we wonder yeah. why all these bad things, but God's got His reason. <laughs>
0: Very yeah so travails you know travails can be self inflicted consequences I'm sure we can all give examples but just shout out a couple of quick examples of you know bad consequences that are directly the result of sin that you've seen in somebody's life it's not anybody we know please <laughs> oh can I
6: talk about myself? <laughs> sure <laughs> okay um <laughs> uh, when I was in my mid-twenties I married a man that I should not have not a believer had some issues um couldn't stay married to him and so I divorced him and (laughs) I suffered the consequences of that of those choices because it was scary and I
0: Yeah, that's uh that's a hard one. You know, scripture has a lot of different principles about, you know, how we should approach life, you know, with the realities of our sexual drives and, you know, the realities of the fallen world. Um, I don't think that there's there's not really good answers, but you know, there there are certainly worse answers than than others. So Yeah, Here's that one from is a couple.
4: from the Old Testament. We know who it is, but he's not yeah,
9: yeah.
4: King uh, David. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, the man after God's own heart. That you know, saw another man's wife, had her brought to the palace, and then had her husband killed. And you know, that uh, those choices. You look at Psalm fifty-one. He certainly regretted it, but he. The Lord said, "The sword will never leave your house because it is." So,
0: yeah.
5: I think just about everyone's probably done this when you don't control your temper, and then you like kick something or punch something. So you're like, "Oh, I'm so angry!" And then your, you know, your hand is bruised the next day or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: It, you know, on the bigger scale, you know, think of people you know that have destroyed their mind and their body with drugs, or have severe SCDs and things like that.
1: drunken driving, was killed.
0: A yeah. Family. You know and the scripture has has uh, guidance for that as well you know we see' we're, we're not called to further harm such people we're not we're not called to put ourselves in the place of God for that you know there's lots of verses about judgment how we're to approach it you know we are to call people out on their sin, especially believers, and we are to hold that standard while keeping a close eye on ourselves and being cautious of the sin of falling into hypocrisy as we deal with that kind of thing, but um, David, uh, I'll deal with this. sorry, David cries out to God in Psalm sixty-nine in a time where he was reaping the consequences of sin. He knew why he was going through hard times, and he was asking God for forgiveness and for reconciliation. But in the same psalm, he's also calling imprecations on. His enemies who are piling on God's judgment, rejoicing, trying to make it worse. Let's look at Psalm chapter 69, and we're going to read a a couple chunks from that. Psalm chapter 69, verses 16 through 21, and then continuing on 22 through 28. Psalm chapter 69, starting in verse 16.
1: Table be set be- may the table set before them become a snare may it become retribution and a trap may their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever pour out your wrath on them let your fierce anger overtake them may their place be deserted let there be no one to dwell in their tents um, for they persecute those who for they persecute, persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous.
0: So we see as we approach these kinds of questions, you know, we're we not to gloss over or minimize the consequences of sin. And we're not to assume either way that it either certainly is or certainly is not the consequence of sin. But we are to approach some such people, whether we know it's their own fault or not, with compassion and mercy. So, sorry, I kind of glossed over you. Oh,
1: well, I just kind of spoke to it. I was just saying, yeah. you know, things like adultery or drunken driving or all those things that are horrific are not the unforgivable sin. Yeah. And we see that again and again in Scripture. With David, yep. you know, it took him a year, what, over a year, to confess his sin before God.
0: Yep and he was punished. And you know, in the church, for those kinds of sins, you know, we are called to censor those who are part of the body, who are engaging in sin. But the goal is always to bring them to repentance, reconciliation. And maybe consequences for them after that. We just shouldn't be piling on that intentionally. So, again, we go back to, why was he blind? So Jesus could heal him. And Jesus showed compassion here, but it is to serve the plan of redemption. Just like everything the nation of Israel went through, it was always to serve that plan of redemption for all of humanity, to save them spiritually. Good thing nobody believes that today. Good thing nobody teaches that today in the church.
4: then who can be saved?
0: Yep. They really
4: believe that that was God's blessing. Yeah. um, Vindicating them as a a righteous person. And if you were, if bad things happened and you weren't successful or whatever, then you were being cursed by God. But it goes both ways. You know, there's common grace and God lets evil people be rich and successful. He lets holy people be poor and miserable.
8: I would say that those of us that are sitting here more than likely are have God's favor upon them because uh, because we're doing what we believe God wants us to do. Yep. Whereas you know the the people that are and I'm not saying all the wealthy because I'm sure that many of them are you know um, you know honest Christians. I don't know how many, but but still. We are to seek God's favor, but favor and money are not uh,
0: the equivalent. Yeah. I mean, just look at the parable of the talents. You know, some people are blessed with a tremendous singing voice, and we can, we can be jealous of those that have a better singing ability or better able to you know, minister, or those who have a preaching ability or the ability to teach, or, you know, any number of things, or wealth or have the gift for evangelism where they can just go out and they can get a bus full of people to come to church where the rest of us struggle. You know, We are called to account for what we do with the gifts that we're given. And rich people just have a lot more you know, potential consequences to be held to. They have those blessings. How are they going to use them? Just like we are. But we're held to the same standard they are. Yeah.
5: So, uh, this made me think about Hinduism hmm because that is completely ingrained in their society, where the people who are better are the ones who are wealthier. There's no question about it. The, the wealthy are the good people, and the people who are poor have yeah, bad he, karma. You deserved it. And yeah. Why should they, I care about you know, what your situation they, is? They have bad re- like previous reincarnations and whatever. and it. You kind of just see that so much in the world i think in lots of places not just india and it's just this is a very I, I mean no wonder the disciples were shocked and no wonder people are shocked about that still today i mean you you often people often idolize the wealthy for what they have and that they have everything Great, and they must be happy, and they're successful, and
0: yeah. So, yeah. On the
3: flip side of that, especially when you see the rise of socialism, that all of everything must persecute somebody else to get that. Yep. That justifies whatever actions you take
0: to. Yep. Yeah. People want cause and effect. All right, so we see in verse 4 and 5, you know, Jesus takes a little opportunity here to teach as he does. And uh, so he says, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus set the example here and was explicitly careful to set the example for how we should approach life. Jesus only had a limited time physically present on earth. And the same is true for the church. We only have a limited physical time on earth, so we must work while we have the opportunity. Continuing in 6 through 9. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and applied the clay to his eyes. And said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? And they were saying, This is he, It's like him. And he said, I'm the one. So we see this it's healing still required faith. Still required faith of this man, right? And what's the difference between belief and faith? Faith is action. Yep, faith creates action. Belief, you know, lots of people believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Satan does. It doesn't really affect how he acts. Anything drives him to go the opposite way. So this you know, this is encouraging to me because you know, I can echo the man who, who wanted his son healed, who said, help my unbelief. Faith merely requires stepping out and taking action. It doesn't require the supreme self-confidence that, you know, we look around at all the other people in church are like, man, they must have it all figured out. And they're, they never have any doubts about, you know, their beliefs or anything, you know, that must be nice. Well, they're having the same struggles, most likely that it just requires a willingness to trust and to do. And, you know, these verses, as we go through, where they're talking about, you know, trying to explain away the miracle and the Pharisees are talking, they, they have a very modern feeling of skepticism, right? We, we like to think, oh, yeah, nowadays, you know, everybody's so skeptical and rational and, you know, people are just so cynical. Well, that, you know, that's been the case for a long time. You know, people always were wanting to check twice when the, it was claimed that there's some sort of miracle you know and you know these aren't these aren't simple global people is what it tells me you know these weren't just you know uneducated ancient people you know they were rightly cautious of such a crazy story as they should be so you know as we look here in verses 10 through 16 obviously you know we know that the pharisees were wrong about who jesus was but we see they, they brought this man to the pharisees he was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. He said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So the Pharisees were trying to do what they were you know, actually supposed to do, what their job was. Jesus called them the teachers of Israel when he was talking to Nicodemus in chapter 3, right? So, what do you think of their approach here to detecting false prophets and false teachers?
4: Double standard. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I will say, though, as a technique, if you look at the fruits of what they do, and you see that they are violating scripture, is that not a good way to determine that they're probably a false prophet or false teacher? It's actually a pretty good way. That's their
4: interpretation. Yeah. It's not in the law that you're not supposed to
0: heal. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So they're, they're probably, and it's actually a good approach to take, it's just they're relying on man's wisdom instead of actually what's in Scripture to determine whether it's valid. So, you know, and as we, we think about this, you know, Jesus himself says that he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So he would admit that the standard, you know, if they'd actually been applying Scripture instead of all the tradition and interpretation that they would layered on it, you know, that that was a standard that Jesus himself would tell them to use. Look and see if they obey the law. Let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through
6: 10. I marvel that you're turning
1: away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again: If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men, or God, or do I speak to please men? If I still please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ.
0: So Paul applies the same standard. Someone who is an angel or appears as an angel or even them themselves, if they teach a different gospel, ignore them. You don't have to debate over, you know, miracles or who they are or where they come from or anything. You reject them. If it's a different gospel, you reject them. If they're violating the law, if they're violating scripture, then we reject them. We don't have to argue about all their doctrinal nuances or, oh, but they have some good points here and, you know, it's good for self help. No. We reject them. Another way we could detect false... Well, what are some other ways to detect false teachers?
5: If they have an idea that's new, if they have any, like, oh, I have this new theology that no one's ever studied before, and, like, like new doctrines on Paul that came around a few years ago. Because the Holy Spirit safeguards the church and has throughout... The thousands of years, you know, keeping us from error and taking it and weeding it out of the church. So I think anytime we claim that we have some new interpretation that has never been interpreted that way before from scripture.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, the, the Jews themselves failed to look critically at their own doctrine. And so they did have man-made traditions that crept in over time. But overall, we should be real cautious when we go against, you know, church orthodoxy and church tradition. And we see people praised in Scripture, you know, when they are careful even about the gospel of Jesus Christ when it comes, like the Bereans who went in and studied the Word to see if all these things these new guys were saying was actually true and lined up with what was in Scripture, not just taking their word for it. Yeah.
3: You have to understand that sometimes what's being taught or maybe the structure of the church might be corrupted.
0: Yeah.
3: But you, know, you have to rely on God to show up the way.
0: Yeah. It's not necessarily always going to be the doctrine that you might be raised in. Yeah, this really is a warning against... It thinking that we know everything and applying that against standard and then being wrong.
5: I think another really good way is to actually have pastors that, you know, are very specific about showing what is false doctrine um, and, you know, explaining it because you see Paul doing that throughout the New Testament. The the role of the elder is to keep people from these things and to protect them from that. They're a shepherd. They chase off the wolves. And that's probably one of our best protections because, you know, God gives a greater amount of knowledge to those he equips for that role to safeguard us and to help us. Not that it's always going to be perfect. We should be responsible for ourselves. But they're also responsible for that too, in protecting us.
0: Absolutely, and we're getting short on time here, so I'll try to go through a little bit quicker here. You know, another way we could detect false teachers is by their motivation. Um, can we read First Timothy chapter six, verses three through ten?
7: Evil, suspicions, and constant friction between man and tribe. to the world so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with those we shall (coughs) be content, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Some by for it have
0: wandered away from the and themselves with You see a couple different motivations here. You know, some people just like to be the one who always has the novel ideas. Some people like to cause controversy and have big arguments regardless of the harm that it causes, and some like money. So we can look at the motivations of these false teachers and we can detect them just based on why they're doing what they're doing. You know, and most blatant you'll see is prosperity gospel. You know, that's the obvious one where people are just after the money and they're explicit about it. But you know, you, you see that too with like, one example is the successors for these famous ministries or children of famous pastors and such, you basically are feasting on the carcass of this great ministry or this famous last name, um, because they just they want the glory that their their daddy did, or they want the money, or because you know they just they kind of don't know what else to do with life. Um, and the the next chapter here is also going to be about false teaching, so uh, we're going to have an even bigger and more in-depth discussion next week on false teaching. So I'm going to skip ahead and skip a couple of the references here, and I'll just roll this into next week. But I just want to say, you know, the, the Pharisees are. Basically following the standards of Jesus, rejecting even miracles if the fruit is rotten. They, they look at the fruit. You know, what does this ministry produce? The only problem was that they were judged by man-made standards instead of the law. Um, and I don't want to get into this today because this is going to be quite the discussion, but look at the Asbury revival that's going on right now. Who's seen that in the news? Is that of man or is that of God? Don't answer that. Yeah. i it could be i i don't i'm not convinced either way, so i 'll say we will see the fruit and then we will know um, so be prepared for that discussion among others um, as we read through the rest of the chapter here, you know I just want to say this guy has a lot of courage you know this this man who's born blind is abandoned or pressured by everyone who's around him his own parents his spiritual leaders you know his friends his neighbors his family they're all like oh yeah everybody's distancing themselves from saying the truth that they know except him you know he uh and we see the pharisees you know fall into the same trap in uh, chapter in verse 34 where they say you were born entirely in sins are you teaching us So they reject him because they assumed that he was blind because of sinfulness. And so again, that preconception, that false understanding, leads to direct consequences in them rejecting. They thought they were doing the right thing, but they were basing it off false beliefs. So Jesus returns to him in 35 through 41 and affirms his deity and also shows why he healed this man in this way. You know, his signs always served a purpose. And here we see he makes the point to the Pharisees you know you know we talked about physical blindness here this guy was physically blind but what really matters here is what the lesson is for you and what you lack is spiritual sight spiritual is always more important than Yeah.
3: based on and these are elders are with a lot of experience people have studied but can get together and have a a debate to try to realize what this god is directing them to do yeah so i think that's an important part that might be overlooked
0: yeah pharisees were not one dimensional villains they were called out by Jesus rightly, but they often had good motivations for what they did. Well, With that, we'll go ahead and close out in prayer. Uh, looking forward to next week. It'll be the parable of the good shepherd, which is all about false teaching. So again, uh, let's be ready for a good discussion on that. Anything else before we close? Right, Brian, could you close us in prayer? Thank you
9: for this time together today. study today, Lord, Looking forward to next week. Uh, please be with us today as we go about our, our lives and, and be with our friends and families and the folks that are sick and can't be here, Lord. Uh, we pray that, uh, that they're able to join us next week. Please bring us back here safely. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: save that chunk of stuff for next week for your passage. Thanks for the study, John. It's always good to get some good yeah. feedback from Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Would you be able to teach that next Sunday but the 5th of March?
8: Uh, yes. Yes, yes, I can. Sure. i do that
5: Awesome.
8: Yeah I will
5: get that's ready for The of
8: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, that's 20 days before our wedding anniversary. So. Oh, nice. Which is 25th. Awesome. It'll be 17 years. Well, should, yeah, yeah. So, I heard about this new Bible that's being put together. Um, it's
5: using the NAS translation, and I thought when I was reading about it, I really like it because it's very. Compiling it based on chapters and verses, they do it in stories. Oh. Yeah. And, and you see, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something within the, the scope of that actual story rather than how it's
6: parsed out. And I don't know. They make it
5: aesthetically too, but um, yeah, they, they have it separated by the actual story or event rather than
1: chapter here cut
5: out um, in the middle. So what is the name of this Bible? <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. I just got a
7: I think yesterday or the day before I just got a brand new uh, Christian book that's in the catalog.
2: So it might be in there. It might be called the Shepherds Bible. Um,
5: well, I think it's, like, it's not, net, it's not it's like a, a self funded thing. Of oh, oh, I and see. Right. have kind of Oh, 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 yeah. I see. probably
8: been around for a while. No, no, oh,
1: okay. they're,
8: they're something in a couple months. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. And huh. they, uh, I have a lot of Bibles. And yeah. Yeah.
1: It's not like I really need another Bible, but well, it's interesting.
9: Idea.
5: But I saw that and I was like, you know, I haven't really seen one where they chop it up like that. Mm, that you know, they still have the chapters and verses, but I know, the, the I know.
0: letters and the numbers that. and all that, it's they're, they're, the well, a very small can chapter demarcation. It might be set up like that too. No,
5: not. I nice. It's different. And, and, you know, they, they kind of really helped transition from, like, story paths They do,
1: like you see in a novel.